So you just pointed out my my new hair, but I think one thing I noticed, which I was expecting, is the whiteboard behind you. Mm. How's that changed your your days and your brainstorming sessions? It's actually helped out a lot. I've I've got a couple of side projects that I've been thinking about, and I needed to kind of get them up and off the computer a little bit. So yeah, it's been it's been handy for just you know putting thoughts out that don't exist in Rome yet, but I kind of need kind of like we were, I, I'm not sure if you've been in the Ann Lore courses lately this week. I, I'm not sure. I haven't had there. a chance. I've, I've joined one out of the six that is that, is that right? Yeah. Uh, sadly, I only, I only joined one for like half an hour. Well, the last one was about kind of mind mapping and mm-hmm. it just, you know, I, I do it every now and then and you, Maybe you can see it might be out of focus, but there is a little bit of a mind map going on there. But the idea of just, you know, mapping out all your thoughts and ideas and being like weird and creative and that we did that on Wednesday morning. And so this was, I don't know, that kind of like inspired me to to start mind mapping a little bit with other ideas. Were you doing that uh, digitally before and now you're kind of doing it in a, on a physical space or is it kind of like brand new to you? Um, Not brand new. I would usually do it on paper or in like mind node, I think it's called. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I use Scapel, which is another my mapping. I like Scapel. Yeah. yeah, I think Anlo recommended it. We did a workshop through the community, and that's the that's the piece of software she recommended. And I started using it. It's nice because it's to me, it's like Rome as a note taking tool. You know, it's just so yeah. basic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my note is so beautiful. It's it just kind of gets in the way a little bit. You know, like you want all your. Mm your bubbles to sort of match colors and, you know, <laughs> especially <laughs> for a designer. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's kind of weird. Cause like mine or scapel allows you to like position things anywhere you want. And mind mm-hmm. nodes sort of controls that for you. So they sort of branch things out in a way that's very organized and neat, but it's, you can't really like, maybe you can, maybe there's a setting, but like you can't really drag one all the way to the left side of your screen and drag one to the right, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it kind of organizes it for you. So it spaces things out really nice and the padding is really nice and everything's really My nice note does. It. Yeah. Yeah. Scapple looks very simple. There is a YouTube video, I think from the founder that actually explains the full functionalities and all the keyboard shortcuts and everything else. And I watched that and then forgot half of the keyboard shortcuts and kind of went back <laughs> to the basics, but it's a good one. If you get into the habit of using it properly, you can actually get really fast at doing it. I'm, I'm not there yet. I have like four mind maps. And so my process for them is, and then I'm curious to hear about yours. I actually keep going back to that concept every time I find something new and keep adding different notes to it, hmm. uh, but it's nowhere near perfect. I'd like to get to a better place. It does give me a lot more clarity though about that concept just knowing how much there is to it. So leadership is an example. Mm. I probably, before doing that mind map on leadership, I would have thought of it as having so many different branches and it does, but then doing that like kind of gives me some peace, peace of mind mm. that, okay, there is, there is a finite number of things you can tell or talk about leadership when it comes to the different styles and types of leadership. It's right. not like infinite number, which before or with anything else to, I tend to think is the case. And I'm sure if yeah. you dive too deep into any concept, it's probably the case, but for just general um, sort of understanding and general discussions or high level understanding, I think there's only a finite number. Yeah, that's the, 
that feels kind of controversial to say there, there's a finite number, a finite number of ideas around a certain topic. Yeah, or a finite number of leadership styles, you know, like before, mm. before kind of sitting down and researching and then creating this mind map for me, I would have thought there'd be like probably so many different ways of describing it. But then you come across a bunch of articles and a bunch of research papers and real, realize there, there's like 10 or 12 different sure. types. I can probably like bring yeah. it up and, and call them out right now, but they yeah. all go back to the same fundamental sort of topics and ideas. Got it. Yeah, I guess you could, you could kind of imagine that a lot of those articles are maybe, you know, you don't know, I don't know when they were written or who, who was biased off of each other, but there's a lot of like overlapping ideas. Like, like when you write an article now, it's like that idea exists somewhere, you know, it's out there somewhere and we're mm -hmm. sort of refactoring and restructuring an idea, but it's, it's already been written, you know, even if it's in an old book, like, a lot of the things that we write about are, are already talked about a lot, you know, which is sort of like the, the one obstacle when it comes to writing, you know, just yeah. the feeling that why am I doing what I'm doing? Because it's already been done, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. You make me think of a topic that's come up maybe once or twice for me this week. And once was through watching a video by Shu Omi. He's a YouTuber and I really like his, his videos and he talks a lot about, and he actually maybe references Derek Sivers' article. I was trying to just find it and find it, find the title. We'll definitely link to it in the show notes, but it's basically the idea that whatever you see around you is uh, sort of an imperfect copy of something else, mm. but then it's okay if you do that copying, because going back to your point, there's probably like, only so many original ideas, but then you think you're copying it, but by the time you're done writing that piece, piece be it an article or finishing recording a video, and I've noticed, noticed this with the things that I have copied, when you add your own touch and feel to it, it ends up being a completely different piece. So you can actually make it authentic, even though you've tried to copy whatever that initial uh, piece of work was. So in the, like at the end of it, it becomes something you have created and it becomes your, your piece. I completely believe that. I think it's just a psychological sort of barrier initially when you're starting to structure the piece that it feels mm -hmm. like, where is this going to go? And it's, it's difficult sometimes, uh, maybe not for you, but for me, it's, there's a little bit of a hurdle there, but I agree. Like once you're like in the mode and you start cobbling together these original ideas and notes that you've that you've taken from reading i think there's a lot of you know organic you know brain dumps that happen in the middle of those sort of like transitions and and, and voids that so I, I i agree i think it's i think it's a fascinating thing to think about because if it, there's creativity is is such a well talked about topic that there's so much i don't know <laughs> Kind of, I'm thinking about this movie called American Movie. There's this, I'm having deja vu, but maybe I told the story recently. <laughs> I did watch the movie recently and maybe that's why, but there's this guy it's real quick. It's a, it's a story about two guys in Wisconsin who are making movies together. One of them is sort of like the alpha he's, he's making the movies and it's like his best friend who's helping him out. But his best friend has just been, his brain is, has been fried from all of the bad acid trips he's taken in high school and, you know, just in his earlier life. And he's, 
he's just fried. So he's got this monotone voice and he he's playing guitar one night and, and the, and his friend who's making these movies calls him out. He's like, dude, like, what are you playing right now? He's like, Oh, it's a song I wrote. He's like, no, that's black Sabbath. Like that's literally like the lyrics you're singing. He's like, no, it's not black. Sabbath. He's And so they get in this argument about it. And the guy who's singing the song has, has this sort of like revelation, like, dude, ideas aren't original. They, they all come from somewhere, you know? And so they're kind of arguing over this point of whether ideas can be original or not. And mm-hmm. if they're always, you know, blossoming from something else. And I think like that, it can be a hurdle psychologically because a lot of the times it's true, you know, like a lot of the things that we absorb and talk about are, are coming from something we've read or seen or listened to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think going back to your point of kind of understanding that this thing exists, but still going through that hurdle and then eventually producing a piece, which ends, ends up being your piece. I think that is, that is, a very, very important step in the creative yeah. process. So understanding yep. it's there, but then still kind of not paying attention to it and going through the process and then adding your own sort of spin to that to that piece. And then it ends up being yours through some, like, because you add your own visuals to your different articles and that mm-hmm. that on its own, even if you copy someone else's text, that could mean that it's something that you've produced by looking at it. Visually, yeah. I will know it's yours. Even yeah. if you have, you've made few edits to the original idea. For sure. And I think that just coming back to my mapping, that's what I love about that process is that, so there's two, two ways that I think about it. One, you could sit down and mind map all of the things that are on, like in your focused mind, I think is what Leanne Lore kind of calls it is like there's focused and then diffuse thinking and focus okay. is just taking what you know and dumping it out. And then diffuse thinking is taking your notes and the things that you've read and other ideas that may not be like sitting in, in, in top of mind and then distilling those and bringing those over into the mind map, which I think is actually more interesting because then you have, you have notes and ideas that have been reworded in your own, in your own way. And you're putting those into the mind map, but they're, they're notes from other articles. And then you're combining those things together and mashing up and trying to create contrast and, and, and conversation and relationships between them that feels more original, I guess, you know, instead of just taking what, you know, mm-hmm. top of mind and putting it down. Yeah. And then maybe just, so you do those just to clarify, you do, yeah. you do those things differently and then try to combine them and understand what gaps exists in your focus thinking. So like, yeah, kind of. So the idea would be, so we both use Rome and the idea is like, you'd start with a mind map of a topic that you're thinking about. So Mm -hmm. let's see here. A topic that I was thinking about was approachable design. And so I go into my notes from all the things that I've read and, and look through design and and approachable, anything I've tagged approachable, approachable design and bring those notes into the mind map and dump Mm -hmm. them all over. And then I'd start looking for connections between those. So it's not, there's like another way of doing it where you're just kind of like brainstorming and using all of the things that you might know. But this is kind of interesting because you're connecting ideas that you've, you've sort of 
taken from things that you've read, you know, that maybe weren't yours originally, but they're inspiring to you. And how are you applying mind maps to your creative process? Does it go, where, where in the process does it go when it comes to your, I would say writing or your thinking in general, like where does it come in at which point, or is it kind of like a work in progress in the background? I think it's like really early on to, to figure out what are some original pieces of writing that I can come up with using different ideas that I've read or thought about, you know? So, so it happens like initially, and then you start to kind of like throw the ideas against each other and see if there's something new that comes out of that. And then you'd write. So, so let's say you took like, you know, approachable design as, as the main topic or the main theme, but then you took uh, a note that you've, that you read from an article. Maybe it's about I'm going to just typecast myself and say typography, but let's, Mm -hmm. so typography for uh, like learning typography and maybe the fonts that you should use. And then you'd take another topic that was about the same thing, but it was from another article. And then you'd kind of mash those together and see if you came up with an original idea from those two existing ideas or existing notes. And then you take that new idea and that could be maybe a topic on itself. That could be something that's like interesting because it's a combination of something else. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you might start off on a single topic and then trying to understand that topic a lot more, you land on something else, which becomes its own topic in a way. Yeah, like the 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 initial topic you said would be like a theme of like a sphere of something that you're thinking about. And then you'd find relating notes to that theme to generate new and original ideas Got that it. maybe haven't existed. I don't know. They probably do, but that's, yeah. it's just kind of a, a, an interesting way to kind of like short circuit your process to find contrasting concepts that might be worthy of writing about. Yeah. And what I find, I think it applies to Rome itself as well, because Rome to me is sort of a mind map that is more kind of linear in front of you, but it can go to your, uh, sort of graph and see yeah. those ideas being connected, which I rarely use because of the ways it's demonstrated. But I think for me, it's organized my brain in a way. So now as I'm looking at it, at the different mind maps, I have a place for every, every single concept where, where there is basically a, a place for it on, on the mind map. And right. I, I label it in the same way I talk about it now, you know, before it might've been something vague in my head. I might have, I might have not known what, how to talk about it or what it means, but now I know what it is. I know how it's connected to the different ideas because I've visually seen it on that mind map. So whenever I think of that, that topic, let's be, let's be more specific here. So when I, whenever I think about like the different leadership styles, I can think of like motivational or mm-hmm. aspirational, and then those, how those could be connected. So yeah, just that's screaming good. and yelling, screaming and yelling. <laughs> exactly. You mean leading by example, right? Yeah, right, absolutely. <laughs> nice. So we started off this podcast, I guess it happened very fairly spontaneously, but part of the motivation behind it was us doing the, the writing fellowship, the on deck writing fellowship, writer fellowship mm-hmm. together. And this is the last week of that fellowship. And uh, you, knew, you knew I was going to ask that question. How has it been for you? <laughs> yeah, on deck this, this yes. the last couple of weeks. So I had, I had a really good conversation with Tom White today, this morning. And 
you know, I, it's kind of reaffirming this belief that I have about myself that I, okay. I can't pick a niche, you know? Okay. And that's great. I, I think like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can, but I can't, but I, I will, but I won't yet. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. but I do think like the on deck has been on deck has been really important for me to embrace how serious I take writing, you know, like it's been a really like rite of passage first was I'm curious and I'm interested and on deck has been, I'm all in and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling compelled to take it like a a serious, a serious step in my relationship with writing, you know? And so, yeah, I think it's, it's been really healthy and just a, a good, good kind of like community to immerse myself in. And I'm really excited to be honest. I'm, I'm, I love how it's gone so far, but I'm actually more excited for the alumni and where it's going to go. Because I think mm. on deck as a community, as a, as a, as a company is growing in, 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 in ways that like appeals to me. So they're building different verticals of communities and they're sort of intersecting them. And as the years go by, I think they're going to really include all the alumni and be able to afford you networking and relationship building and, and, and more ways to sort of like bounce ideas off each other in the future. And it's not something that just ends, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. I agree. I think, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it would be interesting to see how that goes. I think it being completely online, that's the, that's an interesting part for me to see how they're going to create that ecosystem where there's going to be continuous collaboration with different people who never who've never met each other. Yeah. But even through the last throughout the last eight weeks, I've noticed how possible it is to connect with people you've never met in person and mm-hmm. connect on a very deep level and collaborate and give each other feedback and learn from each other. So it's a very interesting breakthrough, I would say, in education and the way people interact. Yeah, that's true. Do you have any regrets so far? I think I wouldn't call, I think it's just a general regret that I wish I could just dedicate my entire day every day over the last eight weeks to this, to the craft of writing, because there is just so much like help available, so much willingness to help from people and from the sort of the on deck team as well. Tom, Natalie, Max, and the rest of the team, they're just amazing at what they do. And that would, I would say that's the only thing, but to your point, it's not a program that's over now because mm-hmm. I think the community is there, the people, uh, I'm sure the ones who are serious about the this, this craft are going to be expecting help, expecting feedback and, and vice versa, be, be able to provide it. So I'm hoping to be able to, I think one thing that you do a better job of, you mentioned you've done sort of, this is your second sort of experience of doing an online uh, writing workshop. I mm-hmm. think that I got more experience um, in doing doing on deck now is how to dedicate time to and how to uh, put time aside for it. But yeah, like the last last three months was kind of uh, the peak for me in terms of how much I had on, and I yeah. took I took another thing on. But at the same time, I think I call it the regret, but at the same time, I think I gave it gave it as much as I could. So yeah, it's it's I'm not dissatisfied about that. Yeah, no, I think. I've seen you in a lot of the sessions too. And I, you know, I've missed 
I'd say half at least of yeah, the live sessions, but I think that's a great point. It's a really good, that's a really good point actually uh, about just wanting to have devoted more time to it. I think my regrets would be just not meeting more people. I, I feel, I, I feel like this little sense of, man, there's some, there's certain people who are really accomplishing a lot. And I feel like I just didn't do as much as I had hoped. Like my writing never really escalated in quantity. I think I just kind of maintained the level I was at, which, which is fine. You know, like I'm happy with that, but I was, if I had one goal for myself, it was maybe to publish more. And I don't think I did that. So that's probably my regret, but it's so hot. It's so hard when you have a full-time job and then you're taking the course in the community and you're trying to figure that out. And then also expected to write a lot. And that's, it, it just, you know, there's a lot there. So. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that actually, that point about having a full-time job brings me to a piece that you shared in your newsletter last week uh, from Nick, uh, yeah. the, the Wilde, I think, which is huge in terms of, I mean, still you have a full-time job and it's easy to think, okay, I'm doing this thing and it takes up a lot of time and this is the only thing I do. But more and more, I'm becoming interested in the idea of doing some sort of a passion project on the side of your full-time job, mm-hmm. despite the fact that you actually love your full-time job. It's not something yeah. that you that you dislike. <laughs> right. So while you're enjoying what you're doing and it pays the bills, you're also doing something on the side, be it recording videos, doing a podcast, writing on your blog, or just yep. learning something on the side that might or might not make you money. I think mm-hmm. that's a very appealing thing to me. And, and Nick and I were talking and it just, I just talked about the fact that as a hiring manager, I would much rather work with someone who has a passion project and dedicate some time to it because they're like ambitious and have some yeah. sort of enthusiasm about something else outside of their job. Yep. And he made a good point about those people are actually more likely to stay put at a company than just leave after a year or two because yeah, they just, they just seem to be more content with what, like how life is and what they're doing. And especially if the companies are supportive of that, those projects too, that's even better. That's a great point. I think the idea that if a company can kind of get behind what you're doing as a, as an entrepreneur or just as a creative person or a, a, a maker, I think that that's, that would, you know, if, if they came out right outright and said that, you know, like, I think that's a benefit to them benefit mm-hmm. to the employee. You know, I think it goes, it's a win-win all the way around. And yeah. you know, Nick's article I thought was really great because he sort of embraced this idea of that you can maybe talk about work and blend the two. And my writing doesn't really talk about real estate all that much. It mm-hmm. talks a little bit about tech, but not, not so it's, it, you know, it's not so much on the nose, but it's something I think about a lot. Like, should I be writing a little bit more about the things that I'm doing at work? And maybe that would be useful or helpful for me and for other people, but I really haven't crossed that bridge yet, to be honest. But I, I do think that's, he brought up a really good point about if, if you're finding some conflict there personally, and it's probably personally, it's probably not a conflict with other people that might be projected, but you can, you can find ways to blend the two that build yourself professionally within your, within the culture of your company mm-hmm. and share those things with people around you. I haven't really done that all that much, but yeah, we'll see. And you know what? Amazing things happen. I can't, I mean, I, I can count the number of times, number of blog posts that I've read from bloggers that have said this blog has changed their lives. And I think 
at your current company or at any like future opportunities, I think just ha- the act of writing the way you're writing and sharing those ideas could basically introduce you to more opportunities down the line. You know, yeah. I think that is, that is a huge, it's kind of like looking at writing and kind of content, public sharing of content as the best way of networking and putting it out there and letting the right people find you. Yeah. I think you're right about the, the personal side of that, but I also think just going back to Nick's point about if you're building your own network, you're actually helping the company out because your network gets larger. The pool of people who might want to work for your company gets larger because mm-hmm. you're only expanding your footprint. And I think that that's such a, it, it's, it just goes back to the whole thing. It's just, it's so beneficial for everybody around for you to pursue your own passion. I think the best example of this in my mind is Peloton and Peloton is, you know, a well-known brand, but all of their instructors have personal brands and Mm -hmm. they, they are on Instagram, they're on Twitter, they're all over the place, but Peloton, it encourages them to pursue their own things outside of like Allie Love is an instructor on there. And she's like the MC for the Brooklyn Nets. She does all of this other stuff and she's a Peloton instructor. And it's just so cool that like the company itself pushes them to embrace that because they know they're going to be a better company because of it, because of the shared publicity. But, you know, they're also just encouraging them to do other things outside of work because everybody has things outside of work, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I want to go back to, do you want to talk more about your conversation with Tom? Cause that is a very interesting topic to me, or we can talk about it offline in terms of finding your own niche and the conversation you had with him. What got you to think that you're not going to, decide right now or take one direction over the other? I I think it just goes back to this idea that we've talked about before about, you know, hitting that hundred mark as like the first mark, like hitting a hundred articles, hitting a hundred newsletters, just, just doing what you're doing because that's going to make you better in the long run. And I think that eventually is going to help me decide what I want to maybe write about more, or maybe after a hundred articles or a hundred newsletters, like that'll just be sort of like my the, the building that I'm putting together and that becomes its own thing. I, I think that there's just so many conversations we have around newsletters and writing always come back to this idea of growth and like, how can I grow faster? And there's something that feels a little, um, I'm trying to look for the right word here. It's not disingenuous, but I think I want to chase the things that I'm interested in for me. And Tyler Cohen, like kind of talked about this a lot too. It's, you know, every article he writes, he writes for himself and every podcast he has, he does it for himself. And he's very like vocal about that. And I think you can find growth in that. It might be slower, but like, if you're going to do this for the next 20 years, you know, or more, like that's, that's the game I want to play, you know? Very, very good point. And I think on that note, when you talk about creativity, especially in the form that you and I are doing it, meaning that we are not we are doing it as more 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 as a discovery process than something to want to get paid for. Mm-hmm. If you if you are doing that for that intention, I think bringing out as much authenticity in your creative output is really important. Yeah, and you can only do that if it's really coming from the bottom of your heart, whatever yeah. it is you're producing. So there are weeks that, as I'm producing a newsletter, I kind of feel like 
this is not the right thing for me to say, or I, this is not really me saying it. I'm just doing it for the sake of following this format. And I try to stay away from that as much as possible because it, it's really evident when that authenticity doesn't show in your work. And yeah. I, I sense it and I know my audience does as well. So again, there are journalists and writers and freelance writers who do that as, as a job. And that's fine. You don't have to be yourself in the piece that you're producing for your company in their blog, on their blog. Yeah. But I think if you're doing this in this way, I mean, might eventually get paid for what we are doing. But again, it's, it's, it's kind of like a vocation, right? It's not so much of a day job. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, think just the, you have to understand what your goals are. And like you said, like professionals who do this for a living, like who work for a company, that's a completely di different conversation. Yeah. Can, can I, can I change topics here on you? You don't need to announce it. Just do it. Shift gears. So I just want to acknowledge, and I noticed this was in your newsletter. So I think this fits. Tony Shea died recently mm -hmm. and 46 years old, like he was such an inspiration to me, but I, I just wanted to like share some fun stories. Cause I'm sure, cause it looked like you read delivering happiness, the book that he wrote about Zappos and his own story. And I, that dude, the dude was so inspiring to me and I never met him, never knew him personally, but like, I, I just have such a fondness for, for him. You know, I'm curious, just to hear sort of like your take on, on that. Cause I know you were just kind of writing about it. Yeah. Sad news for sure. It was sad to hear that. I couldn't believe it, but the reason I was so connected to, to him, I hadn't met him either, but it's because the book itself really inspired me, but I also listened to the audio book that was read by he, Tony himself. Oh, I didn't know that. That's... Back in 2015, I read, I listened to delivering happiness and it was, mm -hmm. it was actually read by him. And it's such a, such a, I guess, foundational book about business culture, but also about mm -hmm. personal values. And because he was talking about it himself, I, 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 this, this applies to me for every audiobook that's read by the author, authors themselves. I really, I love that. It's that much more believable. You know, the, like, can it get any better than this? The author reading the book uh, to yourself, to, to yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah, that book, I was running a, it was my first startup that I started myself. So it was very influential in that way. And I took a, took a bunch of notes on it. And yeah, I thought it was timely to share a summary of the book in the newsletter. So I, and I also read a couple of other books that people have talked about, Tony, one being The Third Door by Alex Abanayan. Mm -hmm. I might've talked about I it in read early, that. Earlier, earlier podcast. Yeah. So I think Tony was one of the characters in that book as well. I don't think he was one of the people being interviewed by Alex, but he was one of the people that was mentioned in that book. I forgot exactly the story behind it. Either way, I think, yeah, a very successful business person. And like you said, a very inspirational person that looked at business just beyond making money and more so influencing emotions and delivering a great customer service, Zappos being a great mm -hmm. example. And uh, yeah. Creating do you have a do you have a like do you have a favorite story at all that you've heard of him? Of he himself, no, but through the book was or of Zappos or you of know, Zappos, I mean, so well the, known of Zappos. But one thing I, I personally know, but I'm, I'm curious to hear if you have have one or just prepare one by the time I'm done now. So <laughs> I have which, one. I have you, a couple. But okay, yeah, why don't why didn't you share that? Well, my first experience with Zappos, which was my first experience with 
Tony Shea as, you mm-hmm. know, you know, I think he made, I think he was, he was CEO, right. For a bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I think and, he was hired as a CEO, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I, I might be wrong about this, but. And he took what, what's inspiring to me about him just initially is that he's, you know, Elon Musk took most of his PayPal earnings and dumped it into SpaceX and, and Tesla. Right. And, you know, if those hadn't worked out, like that was his nut basically from, you know, selling his first company and, or not his first company, but so Tony Shea also basically like took all of his earnings and dumped it into Zappos. And he believed in this company so much. And he had such a fascination for making people happy. And so they had no advertising budget. They didn't do any advertising. They just dumped it all into free shipping. Like they would spontaneously just upgrade your shipping to next day shipping. And so I remember the first time that happened to me, I was just like, wait, that's, this was before Amazon prime and everything else. Like it was, I think it was like 2003 or five or something like that. And it was just incredible because it's just like a magical feeling like, wow, my -hmm. shoes are coming tomorrow. You know, like that was so weird. Interesting. And one of my favorite stories about him was well, okay, there's two, but the the first one is there's a woman who would purchase five pairs of shoes every week for, for every day, Monday through Friday. And then she would return them on Sunday night, Monday, the next week and do this the next week and did this over and over and over and never paid a cent because <laughs> wow. they're like return policy, right? You can return something a year later. Got it. And so she returned, you know, and obviously they knew about this person, you know, and yep. they just kind of let her go. And what happened was she became one of their like biggest referrals <laughs> of word of mouth to all of her family and friends that she brought in so many people that they just let her go because they, she was doing their advertising for them. And wow. it just was like a brilliant, like, wow. Like you just have <laughs> to be a little twisted to kind of look at it that way, which is kind of cool. My, my second favorite story real quick is when they would onboard new employees into their Las Vegas offices, they would even like executives, they would make them get on the phones and yeah. actually talk to customers so that they could just have a, an understanding of, of who their customers were. And after employees would go through like even, even like customer service employees who were just not making as much as executives, obviously, but they were, they'd go through this onboarding. I think it was like a week or two weeks and the executive, like Tony Shea basically had this policy. We'll pay you $3,000. I think it was $3,000. I'm not positive, Mm -hmm. but we'll pay you something over a thousand dollars to quit. And he wanted that as a filter. Like if you take the money and run, you are not right for us. And we're actually going to save a lot of money for not having you work here. And so it was such like, how crazy of an idea is that to pay people to quit to figure out who wants to actually work for you? You know, you you just made me like, you basically brought that idea back. That was mentioned in the book, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a, it was like a flashback for me. I remember that, that story as well. Actually, it really resonated with me at the time as well. And yeah, imagine, yeah, we, because there was such an importance or he, he gave a lot of importance to the culture fit mm-hmm. and being at the right company and being like serving the right values that they actually paid you to leave, which is, which is crazy to think about. 
something that that's small but really stuck with me from observing Zappos or the policies that Tony put in place or the rest of the company was sh- showcasing the customer service number in big and bold font right at the top of the website. And ever since then, I noticed a lot of the companies, if you're talking about CX and customer experience, let's just touch on mm-hmm. this, that a lot of the companies, they make you go through hell to find out a number or a chat box <laughs> or something to actually re- get, get, I know, like I understand a lot of companies don't want that because they get what, a billion people on their website and even a fraction of those wanting to reach the customer service, that's going to yep. be a lot of customer service representatives. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think Zappos for their own scale might've had the same issues, but they still showed that number big and bold at the top and encouraged people to uh, reach out to them and ask for help, which I think is an example that other can, others can learn from. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of airlines when I, when I th- talk about the difficulty <laughs> yeah. of finding Unless that number. Unless you don't want you talking yeah. to a real person at all. <laughs> That's the last exactly. resort. I've been trying to, so I ordered uh, an Apple computer and an M1? got the M1, but it got lost. Nice. It, oh, I, I haven't gotten it because the, so UPS, like it somehow just kind of disappeared off the UPS grid. And oh. I went there and a woman basically said, oh yeah, it's probably been lost or stolen. Like she just so casually and confidently said that, <laughs> like, like what, like how, why didn't the person tell me on the phone that casually? So I didn't have to drive here and, and come hear this, but UPS also is, is someone who just, you have to go through all of the steps in the, you know, the, the phone funnel to, to actually talk to someone real that mm-hmm. every time you call back, even if you've dealt with them a thousand times, like you still have to go through this procedure to, to talk to someone. And they want to know if you're serious or not. They won't even <laughs> let you talk to someone if you haven't like entered your tracking number and gone through the whole spiel. And so, it, yeah, it's just exactly. Am I, am I a real customer? Yeah. Do you, <laughs> re- really, do you really mean angry. this by calling How us? angry are you? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. So what's going to happen to that shipment? They're going to send a new one to you? I have no idea. It's still under investigation. And when I... That sucks. I know the, out, I know. the kind of anticipation for getting a new Apple product. I know what it's like. So which one did yeah. you get? Pro or Air? Pro. Nice. And I'm hoping to sell mine because for every Zoom call that I do a screen share on, it's just my computer starts to heat up and it's uh, fuming. Okay, so it's so, not just yours that happens. I have the same problem. It's a, quite a brand new MacBook Pro with a 2.0 CPU. So I don't know why that still happens, but yeah. hopefully the M1 will be better. I mean, I kind of blame Zoom. Zoom is probably mm-hmm. not optimized for you know running efficiently <laughs> with streaming and sharing screens online, but that probably works for sense. podcasts. Yeah. And did you hear about Salesforce acquisition of Slack this week as well? Yeah, I did. That's uh, pretty crazy, eh? Twenty, almost twenty-eight billion, which was what, billion double dollars. the actual valuation of Slack, the market like cap. Weeks before, like right, like it was earlier this in November, they were valued at like sixteen or something. So they got something like sixty like percent. <laughs> yeah, premium but it, on that. Exactly, and it is. This is crazy. I think it's uh, to me, it sounds like the right move, although. I've, I have seen Salesforce acquisitions before that I, as, a, as a user, I haven't been in favor of because mm-hmm. 
you know, things slow down and a lot of the times the companies go public or get acquired. And as a user, you're not really happy with that because, you know, like yeah. things will change in some way, one way or another. But yeah. I think one thing I really like about this acquisition is how different the two companies are. Having been a user of Salesforce and Slack in terms of the way these products are sold, obviously from my experience of Salesforce, you can't use a product unless you pay for it meaning it's, it's a very top-down way, way of selling a product. Yeah. So you have to pay and then use it. Whereas uh, Slack, obviously, is a, is a product-led uh, product, which is basically you can use it. It's a bottom-up SaaS in, a, in the technical terms. So you can use it and then get a sense. So I think the two of them working together. And for those who are using Salesforce, there's a chatter. There's an experience within Salesforce called chatter, which is employees talking to each other, which is a very poor experience. And yeah when we were using Salesforce at our company, no one, no one actually used it, but I think maybe integrate, I don't know how that integration is going to take place, but also with Microsoft teams getting bigger, I think this was the right move from Slack to, to basically say yes to this. Yeah. I, I don't really know much about Salesforce just in terms of as a user, I haven't really used their products all that much, but I think one thing that I find fascinating about this is Stuart Butterfield. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So he, you know, co-founder, founder of uh, Flickr and, you know, Flickr got purchased by Yahoo and then he tried to start a gaming company. Yes. Yeah, a cool story. Which failed. <laughs> and he decided as a last shot to get investors money back to start something called Slack. And it reminds me of like Twitter and how, you know, they were, going down the podcast road and pivoted, mm. you know, kind of last minute because they wanted to save their investors money in a sense and like figure out like maybe this Twitter thing that Jack is building will work, you know? And it's, it's kind of these memes around the internet are like, so what is Stuart going to fail at next? And then, you know, he's probably going to try to build a game again and then fail at yeah. that, but build the next trillion dollar company, you know, <laughs> like accidentally, like he just accidentally built Slack for, you know, $27 billion, which is that nuts. is crazy $27 billion. And wasn't the Slack was the communication tool that they were using while building that gaming company. Right. And they're like, maybe let's make something out of this. Yeah. I think it was an internal tool they were using. That is crazy. Yeah. Crazy to think about, but yeah, should be interesting. Slack and Salesforce. And the last big one I remember was Microsoft acquiring LinkedIn for how much was that? It was in the $20 billion range as well. Right. If I'm not mistaken. I can't remember, but yeah, that's you, you seem to use LinkedIn more. Like I don't really use it at all, but do, what do you, do you use it like on a regular basis? Not, a, not, not since uh, I've been more into Twitter, actually, I have, okay. I've stopped using it more actively even before I think, I think I used to go, uh, sort of and check out my feed a lot more actively in the mm. past, but right now I would say I probably spend less than an hour a week on LinkedIn, if that maybe even okay. half an hour. So it's reduced by a lot. And that's been dedicated to uh, Twitter a lot more. I think because I think my, here's the thing, I think now you're making me think of it is I used to also my work environment was a B2B environment where I worked and that it requires and demands a lot more LinkedIn. But right yeah. now I'm working at Sorted, which is a consumer product. Mm -hmm. I, I've, and I am doing all this, all these creative projects or creative exploring these creative curiosities and Twitter is more of a place for that. I think yep. my, my, my gang hangs out on Twitter more than, than they do on LinkedIn right now. So, yeah, there's also a sort of, what do you call it? Like whenever I get an email from LinkedIn, 
you know, like there's always some thing behind that email, you know, it's, it's either a recruiter or it's someone who's wanting something from you. And a DM on Twitter is just completely mm-hmm. nothing. Like it's, it's usually more like, you know, something of value to you, you know, in terms of like, Hey, I, I, I like what you're doing, or I'd love to try to work together and something. you know, it's like a much more collaborative sort of like, so whenever I get a DM on Twitter, I'm like, Oh yes, a DM on Twitter. Cause that's, you know, I get this like excitement and yeah, LinkedIn is just like, Oh, like another email, another one dead, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think, I think a lot about how certain tools are get uh, their reputation for certain things, you know, yeah. you, you, you start labeling the, the potential messages that you're going to get uh, in your inbox on these different platforms and the nature of those messages. And I think yeah. once, once you, once I think the, the platform reaches a threshold of like, I've received hundreds of these messages and I'm going to view this. I think it's really hard for it to go back unless you put certain like restrictions in place. And yeah, I actually tweeted, I tweeted about LinkedIn earlier this week that I just got a message that it was so unthoughtful and you get a lot of these, but basically the gist of it was, and I kind of blurred out the, the, the sender, obviously I don't want to like insult anyone, but it was just, let's connect. I'm sure we have a lot of interests and activities in common and this, it can be any more unthoughtful than this. Yeah. I mean, I would understand if it's like a job or even if it was just, let's connect, that's yeah. it. But just stating that we're going to have interest, how would you know that? And why, why is that? Why should that be interesting to you or me alike? So it's, it's re- it really bothers me that these ingenu- ingenuine sort of connections to be happening. And even if we connect, that's not, gonna, that's not the right way to start off a conversation. And I think some of that is the product's fault. I don't know what they do right now, but they... Mm-hmm. I know for a while they were sort of like helping you craft, you know, a bullshit message like that, you know, like it was Mm. kind of like, you know, do you know this person? How, how do you want to connect? And then they'd sort of pre-fill or give you hint text to sort of, to, to think about, to, you know, prescribed, you know, conversation starter. And I think that's, you know, it, it just adds to that sort of just, sour taste that you have for LinkedIn in general. Yeah. So I, I have a, a question to ask about your newsletter. So like your, at, at the bottom of your letter, you typically have like a guest that, you know, answers a few questions that you, I'm curious about your process around that. So do you just reach out to them and do you say, Hey, do you have a few minutes? Do you know these people? Like, how do you go about asking and getting those answers to all of your questions. Yeah, that was inspired by Kai Brach, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, oh, yeah. the guy who sends out Dense Discovery. And he has yep. a section called Worthy Five that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And that was a way for me. And I also, the same way as the podcast, I also wanted to showcase a lot of these people that I was coming across, like people like yourself who are doing amazing things. And I just wanted to get them exposed to my audience. Yeah. And as a result of that, selfishly, get access to their audience too, if they do share it with their audience. So those people I've had at least one conversation with. Sure. And usually I just ask them if they, they would be open to it. And I actually crafted those questions inside a type form, which I oh, sent cool. to them. And then they will just fill out the type form and I just get get it and I put the, put the answers there. So that that is usually how it works. It's funny you ask that most likely I'm going to restructure the newsletter and most likely I'm going to be taking out that section and we can... Because you're doing podcasts now? Exactly. I thought, 
And also, this is a very good question you're asking. I, as much as I want the newsletter to be full of like thoughtful pieces, I also want to get to a place where I can streamline as much as possible. So I don't have to, this is, this is the one piece that might take a bit more work of like following up and asking people. As I realize, I send it to people and it's probably as, it's probably the most frictionless process that you can create. What's the other option is that you can email the questions to them maybe, but this is just a form, like the answers would be pretty short. Yeah. But it's still, I find that it takes a bit of time of their time of me waiting. And yeah. I just want to remove that dependence. So I think it's been great. The funny thing with this, with that section has been a lot of the different people, my readers and those people have shown interest to connect with each other. Mainly my readers showing interest to be connected with the people that I'm showcasing and the creators and the entrepreneurs. So that's been really fulfilling for me. It's, it was a byproduct of that, that I wasn't really expecting. And I was the intermediary to make that, make that introduction, but yeah. Hey, I want to talk about season two of It's Gotta Be The Mic. And I think we didn't really talk about it last time, but this is going to be the last episode of It's Gotta Be The Mic in its current shape and form. And then going forward, might not be from next week, but we're thinking of some additional or supplementing it with different topics or specific topic. Did you want to talk more about that, Nate? Yeah, you know, we should probably talk about this more, but I think what you and I have talked about a little bit of is, is maybe having an additional guest. If we're talking about a, a subject that requires more brain power than what we have. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of think about the, the episode we were talking a little bit about finance and I started getting a little bit over my skis because I, I know it works for me, but I think having maybe someone who has a little bit more knowledge in that space might be kind of interesting. And so, yeah, I think, we, ch- we chatted a little bit about like picking a topic or a theme for a podcast and then just sort of going deeper on that idea. And we might either read similar articles or a book or something like that, that kind of mm-hmm. goes into that a little bit more. I really like these conversations. So I don't know if we're just kind of like winging it here, but I, I wonder if we maybe use this format as a default and then we could sprinkle in sort of, you know, I, what, what comes to mind is Nick DeWilda, who has two forms for his newsletter. One is the key ring and he interviews someone. And mm-hmm. maybe we call that like episode something unique that it's I like that. kind of like our key ring episode, you know, it still mm-hmm. fits into the season, but it, there's a different format that it takes. I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm a little gun shy on trying to find a guest for every podcast, but you probably, you have more experience than I do. And you might be able to speak more to that. You know what? That's actually a very good point. I think I like the I like the idea of keeping things like free flow and spontaneous and talking about the different different topics that come to mind. And mm-hmm. we have enough to chat about that. Like we've gone for an hour now and we probably have more to talk about. But I think agree that the structure and adding more sort of thought to each episode would probably make it more useful. But at the same time, it would it would remove or detract from the fact that we have like all these different things come, come to our mind and we can talk about it more creatively. And I think going back to the guest idea, I think everyone will have something to add to the conversation, but if we want to find someone very specific for the different topics, it might actually be uh, more of a time consuming process than every week. So I like your idea for keeping it still open, but maybe mm-hmm. every once in a while we decide to focus on a topic and then we have, maybe it could be like a once a month kind of thing. So one in every yeah. four episodes. Yeah. And, you know, we were sort of ending this season because it felt right. Because like you said before, we're starting it 
we started it for on deck essentially. And now that's ending, but you know, I look at a lot of these podcasts. I, I I'm not even sure if a season two is the right way to say it, but you know, they just, they're just kind of like ongoing. And I, I'm going back to our point about like writing a hundred times. I'm more, I, I'm, I want to continue doing this as, as a cadence. And I want to like maintain that over skipping weeks. Cause we couldn't find a guest or skipping weeks because we couldn't do mm-hmm. something. And I don't want that to like interfere with this. So I'm only kind of yeah. like saying that in case we, we don't have a guest or a topic, we can just kind of like shoot the shit like we've been doing. So, yeah. And if, and if, the sh- and if shooting the shit is going to be that, the, for me, the quality that we've been doing it so far, I think that's, that's amazing. I think it's been yeah. super valuable for me and I hope the same thing for the, for the people listening. And I think it would be nice maybe in a, what, in episode 60 or so. So in about a year, regardless of the quality or the topics, I think it's going to be nice to look back and say, we've, we've done a year or two of this and this has been an interesting project and the places we're going to be and listening back to the first episode of like you thinking about <laughs> your, your niche or like kind yeah. of deciding what direction to take and seeing where you Great. are. I think that's going to be super cool. And you know, the, the things I find about a lot of podcasts that are really cool is actually editing a bunch of different snippets from the early, early episodes and putting them together and making that an episode that mm-hmm. is like, that's going to be, I'm looking forward to something like that and kind of seeing the evolution of the different things we talk about or the different ways we talk and how our speaking has changed. Yeah. No, I, I agree. One thing that I, it really inspires me is talk therapy by mm-hmm. Nathan and late legion. No legion. Yeah. Yeah, it is legion. And so they, co-host talk therapy, but they always bring on another guest, which I find kind of fascinating. You know, they've had like Taylor Lorenz, I believe that's her last name and court Cortland Allen from indie hackers recently, yep. which is, but just phenomenal. But now, and I, I really do like that format because there is sort of a nice dynamic between the three of them. And so as much as possible, I would love to do that, but you know, love, I love what we have here and don't want to lose that. Yeah. So yeah, man, um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Let's looking forward to season two next week. This is great. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, uh, looking forward to chatting again and talking to everyone next week. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> we-